Good morning, Rosebauer. Happy 4th of July to you. Let's begin in worship by singing, standing and singing America the Beautiful.
be seated. Welcome. Good to see everyone here this morning. I hope you've had a good week, great weekend. Hope you're having a wonderful holiday weekend as well. Everyone's staying safe and, and uh, enjoying this good weather we've been having as well. All right, it is good to see you this morning. If you're visiting with us, thank you. Thank you for coming and choosing to worship with us. Uh, this is just going to be an awesome day, an awesome time. Every time we come into God's house and His presence, it is an awesome time. And I hope we all feel that way. We're going to continue on with worship as we, as, we, as we read out of the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, and verse 1. And it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. You know, as we celebrate Fourth of July this, uh, this holiday weekend, and we think about the freedoms we have here in, in the United States, but, but really, in reality, the freedom we have is from God himself. That's the freedom that we truly should enjoy and that we truly should be thankful for and grateful for. And that's the, that's the freedom that, and you say, what kind of freedom is he providing? He, he, he provides that freedom from the bondage of sin. And that's what we're talking about here in Galatians. It's that freedom that we can call upon God and ask for, and he will provide for us. He will give to us if we ask. So I encourage you to be thinking about that. And as we go throughout the remainder of this service, just be thinking about the freedom that you have, not only here in this country, but also from the bondage of sin, if you, have, if you have truly asked Jesus to come into your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for this time you've given us. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this, what this holiday, this weekend, this day represents. Lord, the independence, the freedom. Lord, but we are so thankful, so grateful for your son Jesus, who went to the cross for the ultimate freedom that we can enjoy and we can endure. Lord, we thank you for his willingness. Thank you for the ability to call upon his name and enjoy that freedom as only, uh, only because of him. Lord, I pray now that as we continue on through this service, Lord, I pray you'll join us, that you'll be present here with us, that you will, Lord, take control of this time. We continue to pray for our worship team. We pray for Brother Justin as he comes and brings your word. Lord, I pray that we will, we will open our hearts and listen and hear your voice today, God. And Lord, that one day, uh, that as we leave this place, that we'll go throughout this week knowing we heard from you, knowing that we, we experienced you and share that with others, Lord God. We praise you and thank you. And it's in the blessed, wonderful name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, let's continue in worship. We're going to stand and we're going to sing, Is He Worthy? A new creation. 
Amen. At this time, when the children come forward, you all can head off to Children's Church. For those of you that wish to sit, you may. We have one more worship song to sing. The song we're about to sing is going to be the song of the month this month. It's called Christ is Mine Forevermore. It is very wordy, so don't get discouraged if you don't pick up on the words right away. It repeats the same melody again and again. So if you once you've got that down, you'll be able to pick it up. Um, this song is emotional for me because... I had some friends a few months ago who lost their 10-week-old baby, and they played this song at her funeral. And that's convicting for me because if they can sing these words when they bury their baby, whatever we're bringing here, may that be a reminder to us that the hope that Christ won for us on the cross and in defeating death covers every circumstance that we could walk into the sanctuary with. Um, so we're going to sing about the hope that we have in him and what that means for our lives.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us into your house, Lord, to worship you, to praise you through song, through your word being preached, Lord, and taught. Lord, we, we, we thank you for allowing us the privilege of living in a country where we can still come to a public place, Lord, lift up your name. Lord, we give you honor and glory this morning. We sing these songs reminding ourselves of the promises that you've made to us, of the salvation that we've received through Christ. Lord, I pray that it has been an encouragement to each one of us that have sang these songs, that have heard these songs. Lord, I pray that we would always remember, no matter the, the trials and tribulations that we face in this life, we can have hope and after this world, meeting you face to face, praising you. Lord, I pray that we would remember the blessings that you give us each and every day. But most importantly, the salvation that we have through Christ. Teach us this morning, Lord. Give Brother Justin your wisdom. Make us more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to John chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. But this morning we want to thank you so much for being here in God's house to uh, worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we celebrate our freedom here in America. Uh, we celebrate our country and we worship our Lord. And so we gather in the house to do that this morning and we thank you for taking time out of your 4th of July weekend to gather together to to celebrate and to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're in John chapter 3. We're currently in a study of walking through the Gospel of John together. And we are now in John chapter 3. We're in verse 1. And what we've learned so far is this, is that um, John the Baptist, the prophet, comes preparing the way for Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then the John, the John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he has been declared the Messiah, the Son, the long-awaited one, the expected one, the promised one. Not only that, but he has declared himself to be the Son of God, the Messiah. Jesus has shared with us that he is the Messiah the one that we're looking for. Not only that, but he's performed miracles. He's turned the water into wine uh, to demonstrate that he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But now we enter into John chapter 3, and for the first time in the Gospel of John, do we see the plan of salvation. What we learn is this, is that Jesus is not only God, but he comes to this earth as God, and he offers salvation to a sinful humanity. So look with me in John. If you don't mind, stand to your feet one more time. John chapter 3, verse 1, the word of God says this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let us pray and we'll dive in. 
Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house with your people and to worship and celebrate and give praise, honor, and glory to your holy name. And God, in this moment, this time, we pray that you'd bind Satan from this place. And God, I pray for your spirit to move and to work. Lord, I pray for your spirit to teach us and to train us. Lord, to transform us and make us more like your son Jesus, even today. God, we pray for your will and your way to be done. For it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning, as we look at a, a very familiar text in John chapter 3, there's two things that I, wanna, I want you to see with me. And Billy, I left my clicker at home so, or on a seat, so you might have to help me. The first thing I want you to see is the interview. <laughs> All right, the interview. And now, how many of you know what makes a good interview is, is you have to have good questions. And, and, and you've got to have someone uh, that, that you want to learn from, right? That you've got to hear from and things like that. Me and Kendra was really interested. We was watching a documentary a few weeks ago, and it was an interview with ultimately Osama bin Laden. And that he was on the radar for our, our counterterrorism unit kind of thing in the, in, long before the 9-11 attack. And then so much so that there was a journalist who went over into Osama bin Laden's uh, camp and got an interview with him. And it was just fascinating for us to see all the, the background story of and, and, and it was it had us, you know, just listening to every word that was said and everything that was spoken and all the things that we're going through. And, like, there's a lot of things that goes into a good interview. And this morning, as we look, we see an interview with Jesus Christ. Nicodemus comes, and he's going to interview Jesus. And Jesus has something that we all want to hear. <laughs> Jesus has something that we want to learn from this morning. So I want you to notice in this text, this interview, it begins with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is what it says is a ruler of the Jews. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious elite of the day. He's probably have memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, as we know it. He's known it forwards and backwards. He knows the law. He practices the law. He is a religious man. And it says he comes to Jesus at night. There has been much said about Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. There are many who said that he was embarrassed, that he didn't want other people to know that he was going to Jesus, that he was talking to Jesus. And so he went to him at night so that no one would know, and it would be a secret, and, in, and he was hesitant to go to Jesus. But then others said the reason why he went to him at night, because he was a rabbi, that he would have been busy from sunup until sundown. And, and this would have been the only time where he could have got some alone time with Jesus or some quality time with Jesus. And so the busyness and the hecticness of the day that he went to him at night. Either way, it doesn't really matter. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and notice first he recognizes him as a good teacher. He says, I know you come from God. No way could any man do the things that you have done unless you come from God. And so Nicodemus knows that maybe he's from God. He knows that he's a good teacher. He's a moral man and a good man. But he doesn't recognize Jesus as God. He doesn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And, and let me just share with you. So Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, comes to Jesus. Why? Why? He comes to interview him, to learn more about him. And Jesus, before Nicodemus could ask a question so that we could know why he's coming to Jesus, 
he interrupts him or abruptly says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You know, this is not the way interviews should go. You know, as one should ask the question and the other one ask, ask, answer the question. And Jesus begins to ask, answer a question that wasn't even asked. Wow, what is Jesus doing here? Ultimately, Jesus knew the heart of Nicodemus. And this was not only the heart of Nicodemus, but this was the heart of many other Jews in this, in this day, the Pharisees. You see, in this day, Nicodemus thought for himself to be saved, number one, by his birth. He was a Jew. He was born into the Jews. He was God's chosen people. And so he was saved, in his mind, by his birth. But not only that, but he was saved by his works. He was religious. He was devout. He did a lot of things for God. And so his mind, salvation, came from his birth because he was born a Jew, God's chosen people. And by his works, he did a lot of religious and good deeds. In his mind, that is how he was saved. But deep in his heart, he wondered, is that enough? When I die, will I really enter the kingdom of God? That was the question on Nicodemus' heart. Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart, and so he answers the question that Nicodemus doesn't even ask. And he tells him, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is saying, and so he responds in this way. Look in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not that I said to you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Let's stop there just for a minute before we jump into his response to that. But Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. So Jesus says, You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And Nicodemus says, can I be born again when I'm old? How can I enter in my mother's womb and be born again? Mothers are thankful you can't do that. It's a one-time deal, right? You can't be reborn. Once you're born, you're born, right? No, he wasn't speaking physically being born again. He was speaking spiritually being born again. Like, yes, we've all been born physically, but in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born spiritually as well. And that's what he's trying to tell Nicodemus here. But Nicodemus is not understanding. And, and Nicodemus is asking Jesus to clarify. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear. And says that new birth was essential for entering the kingdom of God. You don't enter in the kingdom of God. What he's sharing with him is this. You do not enter in the kingdom of God by being spiritual. You do not enter the kingdom of God by being born to a spiritual family. You see, he, he was born in a Jewish family, so he thought he was going to be saved because he was born into a spiritual family. Sometimes today, there are many people thinking they're going to heaven because their mom or their dad is spiritual. 
Maybe their dad was a pastor. Maybe their dad was a deacon. Maybe their mom uh, was the most spiritual and, and godly lady they've ever known. And they're thinking that, hey, because of them, I'm going to enter into heaven. I don't, I'm not sure if that's a well-known thought or a well. Uh, many people think that today, but in that day they did. And he says, no, no. No, no, you do not enter the kingdom of God by being spiritual, by being born into a spiritual family. You do not enter the kingdom of God by knowing a lot of things. You do not enter the kingdom of God by having a lot of information about the Bible, about Jesus. You do not enter the kingdom of God by being religious or being filled with religious rituals and being devoted to religious things. He says, you enter the kingdom of God by being born again by the Spirit of God. That is the only way you can enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> he continues, said, do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. And what he's saying here is just as you can't see the wind, control the wind, or know where the wind comes from or where the wind goes, but you can clearly see its impact. You know that it's windy. You can see the impact that it has on the things that it's, that, that it's involved with. The Spirit of God is a lot like the wind. It is free. It is powerful. It is unpredictable. And it, in, it controls everyone who he enters. The Spirit of God controls every person who he enters. That is, what I mean by that is clear and evident when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You know what I'm saying? It is clear and it is evident when the Spirit of God lives. What does he do? He changes your desires. He changes the way that you live. You will not continue to live in your sin and be okay with it. You, you, your desires will be transformed into God's desire. Now you will have this conviction in your life when you sin. There, you, you, there will be this guilt and this remorse in your life because of the sin. And now your desires will be transformed into God's desires. And now your life will begin to align with God's word, God's will, and God's way. That's what it looks like when the Spirit of God comes inside of you and you are born again. The Spirit, when He enters our life, makes life clearer. I want to be careful how I say this. I'm not saying that your life will be easy because the Spirit of God is in you. I do want to say the Spirit of God will empower you, but it doesn't always mean that you won't experience suffering. It doesn't mean that you won't experience affliction, difficulty, hardships, health issues. It's not what Bible says at all. But what He says is the Spirit of God will empower you in ways that, humanly speaking, you can never be empowered to walk through the most difficult situations of your life and for the Spirit to lead you, direct you, strengthen you, comfort you, and kind of give you what Ashton was kind of talking about this morning, give you that hope when a lost and dying world has no hope. Think of it this way. The Holy Spirit empowers your life and you're able to accomplish so much more with the Spirit than you ever would, humanly speaking, in your own self. When we were going to Moragora to visit Brother Alex a few years ago, we were in the Chicago airport, and we were flying to Switzerland for a layover. And I can remember when we were in the Chicago airport, we got on the plane, and we were not on the runway, but we was on the taxi part, 
And I can remember we had to sit there in the play on the runway for like 45 minutes to an hour. And, and, and the pilot finally gave, came over the intercom and told us, we're going to have to sit here for a while because we have a tailwind going to Switzerland. And we're going to get to Switzerland an hour and a half earlier than anticipated because the tailwind is so strong. And if we were to leave right now, we would get there before the airport opens and we would have no place to land. So we're going to have to wait here until so that when we get up in the air and we get there an hour and a half early, it'll be open and they'll be ready to receive us. That tailwind has a powerful impact on a plane, doesn't it? An hour and a half earlier because the wind was so strong. Let me share with you, the Spirit of God is much greater than any tailwind you can ever experience. It has the power to strengthen you in your life. That when you and your flesh are weak, when you and your flesh can't handle the difficulties that are going on, it, He takes you, He lifts you up, and He strengthens you, and gives you the ability to carry on like no other time before for the glory of God and for your good. You see, we don't fully understand all the workings of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, but we most certainly see its effect. But Nicodemus could not wrap his mind around what Jesus was saying. He could not. He didn't understand. That doesn't make, you know, all he had known was to be born in the Jewish family, to follow these religious routines, do good deeds and good works, and I'll be saved. And that's all he could. He, he really felt like he was too far down this religious work plan of salvation that he couldn't turn around. And what Jesus was trying to share with him is the Spirit of God comes and does what you cannot do. I'll try to illustrate it to you this way, and I think I have possibly used this illustration before, but think of these. Got some work gloves here. Had to use them the other day when I was digging a hole. How many of you enjoy... I'm living in my granddad's old house. He built in 1966, all right? And um, he put up some clotheslines that he thought needed to be there for the next 10 generations, all right? Um, the clotheslines were made of metal. They ultimately, for it got old, rusted out in any way, they broke off, and now I'm having to dig them up. And so he put concrete around these poles so they'd be good and sturdy. No lie. This concrete was four foot deep in the ground for a little two-inch pipe that came out of the ground. No lie. So I got this shovel, and I'm digging, trying, and I'm, here's a good analogy for you. Be careful what outlives you, all right? Be careful the things you do in this life that outlives you, because some of the things you do in this life, the people after you may not want, they may not want, but anyway, that's all side. So I'm digging this hole, and I need some gloves to do, to use this shovel to go on. How many of you know the gloves is not doing the work? <laughs> I wish I could say, gloves, I need you to go dig that hole for me, right? Go, get it done, because that's a deep hole. We need to get it done before tomorrow. doesn't worry. He's going to sit there and look at me. Maybe the gloves need some encouragement. Come on, gloves. You can do this. I know you got it in you. I know that's a deep hole, but you can do it. All right, that didn't work either. Maybe the gloves need some one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Maybe I can teach the gloves how to dig a hole. So I could take, come on, gloves. So take it, now you wrap your fingers around the shovel, and then you go down and up. No, that didn't work either. I know, maybe 
these gloves need to rededicate their life to the Lord. And then they'll have the power in order to say this little prayer. No, that don't work either. Maybe he needs other believers and other gloves to come alongside him and do the work. No, that doesn't work either. What does he need? The gloves need something more powerful than themselves to go inside of them to do the work it cannot do itself. We are the gloves. When we are born into this world, we are born spiritually dead. And we have no strength in and of ourselves to reach up to God even if we wanted to. We need the Spirit of God to fill us, strengthen us, and save us from our sins. That's what Jesus was trying to share with Nicodemus. And it was really blowing his mind at this time. So that's the interview. The second thing I want you to see this morning is the invitation. The invitation. This interview that Nicodemus has set up with Jesus turns into an invitation from Jesus to Nicodemus. Look at verse 10. So Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of, the, of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak and we know and we testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, who, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and they have been done in God. Wow. <laughs> there is so much. In this passage that I want to share with you um, this morning, we no longer see Nicodemus in this interview. Jesus begins to speak and be Jesus begins to share. So the religious leader so far has rejected the testimony of Jesus. Jesus doesn't wait for the answer to the questions that he asks Nicodemus when he says, you ruler of the Jews and you don't know these things. But then he continues to share with Nicodemus who he really is. That he is the one who descended from heaven to earth. The one who took on flesh to reveal the character of God to the world. I want to stop there just for a moment. Where he's talking about the one who descended to the earth from heaven. Uh, you see, there's normally, there's two worldviews. There's one worldview that believes that we get to God. That is, if you do enough good deeds, you do enough religious things, you be a good enough person, you be a right family in the right place. If you work yourself, then you can get to God and then you can be a saved. That is a worldview and it's wrong and it'll send you right to hell. But then there's another worldview. And this worldview is what Jesus is trying to share. 
He's saying that God the Father loved us so very much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come from heaven to this earth when we couldn't get to him. To live the life that we could not live. To die the death that we deserve today. You see, he begins to express this and share by the Old Testament passage in Numbers with the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. Do you remember this story? When the Israelites, they were wandering in the wilderness, they were grumbling and whining and complaining. You see, what had happened was this. God brought the people of God out of Egypt, out of slavery, and then he gives them the promised land. And he tells them about the promised land. This is the land I have for you. I prepared for you. All you got to do is go and take it. I've already have it for you. So they go and they send the spies, they search it out and they say, oh no, they're too big, they're too bad, we could never do that. They're too scared to obey the call of God in their lives. And so God leads them into the wilderness and they begin to wander for 40 years, aimlessly wandering without following the will of God. And while they're out there, God provides for their every need. They get out there and they get hungry, right? And so God provides manna from heaven for them to eat. And like, um, think of, and so this manna uh, from heaven comes down and provides for them. But here's the thing, they have to eat manna every single day and they get tired of manna. So they begin to whine and they begin to grumble and complain that they don't want manna anymore. They want something different. They want something else. They want something better. And they're whining, they're crying, complaining. And the only way I can see in this passage, I don't know if, if you're a dad and you've said this, or maybe your dad said this to you. There's been a time when you were crying, whining, complaining, and your dad says, stop that crying or I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> this is a holy, perfect version of that, okay? And so they're whining, they're crying, they're complaining, this manna you give us is not good enough. We want something else. We want something better. And so God sends venomous snakes into their camp. Ha! Venomous snake. And the snakes are biting the people of God and they're dying. Snakes everywhere. I would, I would just die from seeing snakes everywhere, okay? You, you don't have to bite me. I'm going to die with all this. Anyway, snakes in the camp biting thousands of people and they're dying. And it's in that moment they realize their sin that they've been whining, complaining, griping and so in that moment in their repentance god tells moses to prepare a bronze serpent to put it on a pole and raise it up and it says for everyone who is bit if they will look to the serpent they will be healed and so moses does just that raises the serpent and the people are bit and they look they are healed but i want you to understand that anyone who looked at the snake to be healed they had to do two things number one they had to believe it was their sin that caused the snakes to come into the camp they had to realize it was their sinfulness that had caused this problem in their life and then number two they had to believe that the serpent represented the healing power of God. So what that means is, number one, they had to recognize their sin. Number two, they had to have faith in God in order to be healed. 
And so that's the story from the Old Testament passage that Jesus is speaking of. And now Jesus is comparing himself to the snake that is being lifted up. That he himself would take upon, upon himself our sin on the cross of Calvary. And so now for you and for me, the cross, it is the symbol of our sin and evil, or evil uh, dark ways. That is the symbol on the cross, but it's not only a symbol of our sinfulness, it is also a source of our salvation. It is a source of our salvation. And so, uh, so the symbol for evil, it would also be a source of our salvation, for there was one way to be healed, and that is to look to Jesus by faith. And believe that he is the son of God. So it is only those who hear the gospel. Look to Jesus by faith. And believe in the death, burial and resurrection of King Jesus. Who is born again. That's what Jesus is trying to share. And then he goes into verse 16. And he shares with us that Jesus is the gift from God. Because God loves the world. Jesus takes it a step further. Who did we say Nicodemus was? He's a ruler of the Jews who believed he was saved by birth and by his works, right? In this time, a lot of the Jews felt like it was only the Jews that would be saved because Jews were only God's chosen people. Jesus takes it a step further and says God loves not only the Jews, but God loves the world so much that he sent his one and only son. While we were in our sinfulness, while we were in our brokenness, he sent his one and only son to do what we could not do, and that was to live the perfect, righteous life. And so he's sharing about God's sacrificial love that makes salvation possible. The focus here is on how God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. There's no other sons, no other perfect righteous son like Jesus. And he sacrifices his son to demonstrate his love for the world. Why? The Bible says in our flesh, we love darkness. That rather than light, we love darkness. Verse 17 says that God sent his world, get this, God sent Jesus into this world not to judge the world, but to save the world. Now there is a time coming when Jesus will come again and he will bring judgment on all those who reject the truth about Jesus, all those who do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In that moment, he'll bring judgment. But the first coming of Jesus that we're reading about here in John chapter 3, the first coming of Jesus, he comes to offer grace on any and all who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, to any and all who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus. And so John, 7, John 3, 17 gives us a picture of our standing when we are born into this world. Um, does anybody know the initials D-O-A? You know what that stands for? Dead on arrival. That's right. When we are born on the, in this world, we are born spiritually dead. When we arrive in this world, we are born spiritually dead, not because of the sin that we do, but because of who we are. Genesis chapter 3, all have become sinners because we have rebelled against a, a, a holy and perfect and righteous God. And so what it says in John 3 verse 17, it says, when we're born in this world, we already stand condemned. The picture he's given us here is someone who's committed a murder, who has went to court, who has been convicted and found guilty, and is now on death row awaiting his <laughs> execution. That is who we are when we're born into this world. 
We are sinners awaiting our execution. But Jesus, he comes and he is executed in our place on the cross of Calvary for our sin. And by grace, through faith, we can be set free from the prison of sin and we can have life and life eternal by believing in the name of Jesus Christ. So salvation, get this, is a supernatural work of God. It is not a natural work of man. We can work our entire life and never get to God. It is not a religious work. It is not a natural work. It is only made possible by the Spirit's work in our hearts and lives when we repent and are born again by the Spirit of God. So get this, the interview with Jesus turns into an invitation from Jesus to Nicodemus to enter into a right relationship with him. But it's not only an invitation to Nicodemus, but it's an invitation to you and to me and to all who hear this blessed gospel. You see, Nicodemus, he knew scripture, but he didn't know Jesus. Nicodemus, he knew religion forwards and backwards, but he didn't know Jesus. Nicodemus felt like he was too far down the religious path that he could turn around. He felt like there was no possible way. And what Jesus says five times from 11 to 21, believe. That's the theme. Believe in the Son of God and you may have life. You will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Repent of your sins. Place your faith in Jesus. Understanding it's not your work, but Christ's work that makes salvation possible. And get that. Everything you do for Jesus now, once you're saved, born again by the Spirit of God, is not to become righteous, is not to be saved, but it's because you're saved. Going to church, reading our Bibles, praying, serving, loving, giving. That's not to be saved, to become righteous, to become holy. That's because we are so tremendously overwhelmed with joy that God loved us enough that he sent his son Jesus in our place that we may have life and life eternal and so now out of joy we serve him I, I want to try to illustrate this to you and this might not work out but Jackson will you stand right here okay face the crowd I need you to keep that in the air can you do that This is a religious man trying to work his way to heaven, okay? This first work is reading the Bible. He's going to work every day reading the Bible. This, this next work is going to church. Keep them both. This next work is serve people and others. Oh, I'll help you out. I'll help you out. You know, you got to keep doing good, right? And now <laughs> you drop that. When it's left to yourself, it becomes overwhelming, right? Sometimes there are a lot of religious people doing that very thing. That they are working hard at doing the right things because they think the right things is what will, enter, will allow them to enter the kingdom of God. When what Jesus says, unless you're born again by the Spirit of God, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It's not how hard you work. It's not how good you are. It's not how long you've been to church, not long, how long you've been a member of Rosebar Baptist Church. It's do you know Jesus. And so what you need is not 
who work at keeping the balloons in the air. You need, hold on, let's try this again. Knox, you come up. You hold this and you keep it in the air, okay? Jackson, you come over here. You stand right here. And it's a competition, all right? Whoever can keep their balloons in the air the longest. Ready? Go ahead. Don't let any of them hit the ground, all right? If they hit the ground, you, you fail, you lose. You already hit one. It's over there. Oh, goodness. All right. Stand over there just for a moment. This is an illustration of religious people working to try to get to heaven. And look what Knox was doing. He was resting quite easy, wasn't he? Why? Because he has something different filling his balloon. He don't have normal air filled by human lungs. He has helium. My illustration is, it's the Spirit of God that empowers you to do the things that God has called you to do. doesn't make life easy, but when you rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that is when you enter the kingdom of God because of the Spirit's work in your life. All right, you may be seated. Thank you. This balloon's going to get away from me. So we do not serve, we do not read, we do not go to church out of duty and obligation. We do it out of joy because of what Christ has completed in our hearts and our lives. And so Jesus invites Nicodemus and Jesus invites all of us to come and believe. But notice where he begins. Like this is the first person we see with the plan of salvation in John. With the religious who had got it wrong. Who thought they had all of it together. The ruler of the Jews who knew the Bible forwards and backwards. And Jesus says, come and repent of your religion. Repent of your works. Believe in the name of Jesus and you shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time together with your people. We thank you for your word. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd make it abundantly clear to our hearts and our lives. Lord, I know there may be one here this morning that is far from you. That maybe they are depending on themselves in order to enter the kingdom of God. Their works, their righteousness, their goodness. Their membership. Their baptism. But Lord Jesus, there is only one way to enter the kingdom of God, and that is through you. Through knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior of our hearts and lives. God, I pray for the one who is this, this, here this morning that does not know you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you convict them of their sin. Draw them to yourself. And I pray today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray for us as a church. Help us to repent of our religious activity. And Lord Jesus, help us to be more about a relationship with you. For it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen and amen. You, will you stand to your feet? I want to ask anybody who would like to come and to pray for the lost and pray for the one that's on their heart. Will you come as we sing? I come to the garden alone while the
a few announcements for you before we are sent out this morning. Thank you so much for your kind attention and your presence in God's house. Pray God's blessing upon you and your family uh, this, this afternoon and this week. Um, the few announcements we have for you is a reminder, Wednesday night begins our men's and women's Bible study. The women you will meet in the fellowship hall at 630 uh, and the guys will meet in room 106 and uh, we'll, we'll begin a six-week Bible study. If you haven't signed up, uh, come on anyway, and we're going to order some extra books and things of that nature for you. Ladies, will you meet with Kendra just right up here, right after service for a moment? She's got some books to give to you and things like that to get you prepared for that. Um, and that's Wednesday nights for six weeks, beginning this Wednesday night at 6.30, from 6.30 to 8 o'clock uh, each Wednesday night. And so that's a reminder of that. And then also on your uh, little sheet that you'll picked up, it's, we have a servant leadership team meeting on July 11th, that's next week, July 11th, not the 18th, July 11th at 5 p.m., sorry for the confusion there, uh, but that is next week here in the sanctuary for all of our elders, deacons, and deacon partners. And then also you see coming up on July 25th, we got a big day, um, we are going to be serving in the Farley area. Uh, we're going to be at Bob's Drive-In, and we're going to be giving out some soft-serve ice cream cones and socks for children to go back to school with, all right? 
And so if you would like to donate some children's socks, would you please bring those? And we'll have a bin in the foyer. And we're going to be collecting those until July 25th. And then we're going to be giving them out at this event. It'll be from 2 to 4 p.m. at Bob's driving out of the front window. I'm going to need about 10 to 12 workers. I'll have a sign-up sheet back there where you can sign up and say that you're going to be there. But we're going to give a very uh, uh, ice cream cone and some socks. And we're going to have some surveys that we're going to give out, kind of re-engaging with the community post-COVID and things of that nature. So July 25th, mark your calendars. Also, there is a bridal shire for Audrey Blakeney in the Fellowship Hall from 2 to 4. Uh, she is registered at Walmart, Target, uh, and gift cards from uh, Lowe's and Amazon will be appreciated as well. Let me see. Okay. Also, uh, by way of closing, I want to share this with you. I've been naming to share with you for a while. Um, I think we're at a good spot now, so I can share with you that we have walked through a pandemic together. And um, we, I'm not saying COVID is gone, it's still real and it's still out there, but we're in much better shape than we were a year ago, so praise God for that. And uh, on behalf of the elders to the church, what we want to say is this, that we, we apologize for all of the miscommunications we may have, you know, throughout this year. We did the best we possibly could, in, or we tried our best in the situation we were in for the time of the pandemic and beyond with canceling service and all, and you were so gracious the entire time. And we want to say thank you. I apologize um, for any ways that we did not do correctly. We tried our best, and I'm sure we messed up time and time again. We apologize for that. We apologize for any of the miscommunications. Um, well, one of the miscommunications we may have been is uh, with our nursery and our seniors. Uh, some of the seniors may have felt like we didn't want you in there, but um, that was not the case. And actually, we want to invite you to come and to help us with our seniors because we currently have five ladies who are pregnant and they're beginning to have babies in September. I think the first baby do. And so we'd love to invite you to come and to serve in our nursery uh, and anybody who would like to serve in our nursery. We would pray God's blessing over, over you. Uh, see Heather, see Michael Woolley, and they would love to point you in the right direction. You could probably hear the direction. You can go that way. Yeah. <laughs> also, being that we have five pregnant ladies in our congregation, I want to go over pregnant lady etiquette. And, and ladies, y'all tell me if this is right, wrong, or indifferent. When you see a pregnant lady, do not say, wow, you're big. All right? That is not funny or flattering. Do not say you're fat, you look miserable. Are you sure you're not having twins? You're about to pop. You better get your sleep now because you're not going to sleep anymore. It's not kind, right? We want instead, we have five pregnant ladies that you can minister to as they are carrying a miracle. All right? When you see these ladies, tell them how beautiful they are. Tell them how wonderful a blessing a child is, how it is a gift from God that many people don't get to enjoy. Be a blessing to them, not a joke to them. If you have an opportunity to bless these ladies and to minister to these ladies in powerful ways, do that now. Tell them how God has blessed them and how they're glowing and how they're beautiful and how awesome it's going to be to be a part of that. Don't say, do you know what causes that? 
I assure you, we do. All right? Let's be kind. Let's be loving. And let's serve. What a blessing for our nursery to be overflowing right now. God has given life to this place. And let us be a blessing to him. And may we be a blessing to others. All right? Stand to your feet. And we're going to be dismissed. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Amen. Praise God to that. Our memory verse, meditation verse for July is John 3 and verse 18, which we read this morning. I'm just going to read the first verse. It says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Let us pray and we will be dismissed. Jim Ellis, would you mind leading us in our closing prayer?